Hey, everybody. I am excited today to interview Adam Ackerman, who heads up the ISO sales channel over at a company called Merchant Links. How are you doing, Adam? I am good. Thank you, James. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Great to great to connect with you. Um, we were talking right before the episode. I told Adam, I said, you know, I feel like lately we've just had a lot of people on here that are really for surcharging, right? Which Patty and I fully support surcharging. Sure. It's great, right? How can yeah. you not support it? It's compliant. It's great. Um, but it's I also the only game in town, right? But we also really support cash discounting as well. And exactly. so we're kind of, you know, so Adam, you were here, you know, carrying the torch on the other side of the of the of the uh, argument, right? So, but the reason we want to have you on here is to talk about that. But before we get into that, Adam, um, give us a little background how did you get into the industry how'd you end up at merchant leaks give us a little bit of your uh, your background appreciate you and patty letting me hop on today sure um you know you've got a great audience uh we appreciate all the content that you guys bring every time uh you have a, a large following that really looks forward to these so appreciate again you oh, guys you. giving me the well, opportunity you. to speak so anyways a little background on me i've been in the industry for 12 years now got started back in 2006 made a random move out to california and no previous industry experience got hired by a company called iPayment. I was sure. with them running that ISO channel for seven years. Uh, then I spent some time uh, over at NAB and PayProTech uh, for four years, and I've been now with Merchant Links for three. So one of the reasons I came over to Merchant Links was a couple of reasons why. First off, uh, TSIS. We're a large TSIS acquirer. Uh, I love TSIS. I love the platform. It's great. Sure. Um, and in my previous relationships, I did not have that. And then second of all, the ability to uh, to really run my own channel, you know, be mm -hmm. flexible sure. uh, and uh, be able to call the CEO at any time. And of course, we were really one of the first folks to roll out these programs aggressively. And I played a large role in that. So, sure. you know, really just the flexibility, uh, being able to work with a debt free acquirer and mm -hmm. to be able to call up management if I need something. <laughs> so sure. it's been great. Sure. Well, okay, so let's let's go ahead and jump into this because I mean, you know, you've yeah, I think one of the big differences and we touched on this even before the episode talking about it, but I mean, obviously your experience has been in the field working with salespeople that are in the field. There's there's kind of that direct connection with these sales agents. And so you know, um, there's a lot of buzz right now around cash discounting and surcharging. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of context? You know, what is Merchant Links currently offering to merchants in this area, and how is that impacting your sales channel? Yeah, well, first off and foremost, we fully support cash discount. Um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the way that we read it uh, is the merchant has a full legal ability to offer. Uh, a discount to those that pay with cash. Now, obviously, there's some more moving parts to that uh, before we divulge into that. But I think what's most important here and what really excites me the most is we've been in an industry that has just had shrinking margins, uh, right. people literally fighting over basis points, um, giving away the farm, um, literally folks selling at the lowest common denominator, you know, just to get a deal. Um, and now, we have an opportunity at our hands where it's something of value for both parties, not one of those right. who's paying for it too good to be true type situation. So right. for me, it's exciting that agents in the field have the opportunity to see, you know, an extra 80, 100, 120 basis points of additional profit. And you have the ability to save, and most of the time, it's about 90% of a merchant. Right. And because of the value, and you're giving a regular agent out in the field the ability to go sign up a 20 location chain and really make themselves better financially. Right. So right. for me, I think it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, that's so that's great, great time of acquiring. Yeah, I agree. So, 
All right. So what let's what I wanted to do is I want to kind of jump into more of the you know the the debate side of it, right? Because obviously this visa bulletin came out, and I think that really that really did have an impact for those that aren't aware. You know, the visa bulletin came out and basically said that there are some cash discount programs out there that are not compliant. Uh, with visa rules now of course not you know with federal law or anything else of course but this is just visa rules but you know what are your thoughts on this visa bulletin adam and you know how is that impacting cash discounting and, and merchant links yeah that's a great question um personally when I, that memo came through i thought it was a blessing um you know a couple of things need to be cleared up right away i think that are extremely important and i think that we're really people didn't realize when this memo came out the first when that memo came out my phone blew up i'm sure I you're bet. too sure, um, sure. you know <laughs> hey is this the demise of cash discount right a lot of people missed the most important fact of that memo if visa wanted this gone it would have been gone right then and there right <laughs> sure <laughs> but you're they right. didn't and that's a very important you know piece of this whole puzzle the second thing is is i hear a lot of people say well in that visa bulletin they say cash discount is not compliant I've that's actually not seen what they it said at some all. of the acquiring shows we've been to. That's not right. what they said at all. Right. People literally have that printed out saying, you know, again, and, and to each their own, but it says, hey, this memo says it's not compliant. That does not. It just clearly states, hey, this is not the Wild West of payments. Right. Compliance is alive and well. You can't just slap on a service fee on all transactions and call yourself compliant. Right. Uh, so, you know, it was a blessing to see this because, again, being on the front end of this from a recruiting standpoint, uh, I've educated myself personally to hundreds of ISOs and agents and whatnot. You know, I've always stuck to how important compliance is. I feel that these are too valuable. Right. Uh, spend the time, spend the diligence in our crazy unregulated industry and learn how to do them appropriately. So when that memo came out, it was a blessing for those that do it the right way. Um, as you know, hey, listen, it makes my job a little bit easier. You know, you can't sure. just slap on a service fee and call right. yourself good. Right. So. And it's like I've been talking about that for months on, on my videos as well. Right. It's like, you know, I talk to these ISOs that are like, oh, yeah, we implemented cash discounting. I'm like, well, how'd you do it? What do we need? How do we do it? We just added a service fee. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> that would not be a that would not be a cash discount. That would be a surcharge. And there are other compliance regulations there. Right. So. All right. So so let me you know, this is funny, too. It's another kind of interesting thing I want to bring up with you because I was doing some consulting. Uh, I don't even know what day. What is this? Anyway, this week I was doing consulting at some point and I was at an ISO and they were thinking about rolling out this uh, program. Uh, actually, in their case, surcharging. But, you know, uh, when they went to their larger acquirer, um, this company said about cash discounting, they said, oh, you don't need to worry about that. That's fringe. Like, nobody's really selling cash discounting. Oh, really? And uh, I was like, hmm, that's an interesting disconnect. Uh, but anyway, what what are your thoughts, Adam? I mean, what are you seeing? Are, are there a lot of agents and ISOs that are still really gung-ho about the cash discount? Is it still being sold successfully? What's been your experience? Oh. Yeah, you kind of cut out there again. Weird. Um, so... My thoughts, again, I think we touched on this a little bit right off the bat. Right. I, just from my experience, because, uh, again, I talk just like yourself to tons of agents and right. ISOs and whatnot. And, you know, for those that didn't roll these programs out initially, uh, I feel like that's their way of just saying, hey, you know, um, it's not happening or they don't have the capacity to roll it out. Um, you know, I can't speak for other ISOs. Right. I know that for the ones that have rolled these out appropriately, they're very powerful, right. they're valuable, right. and, but there is a certain way to make them 
uh, not only compliant, but to work as advertised as well. You know, and that's right. the whole other side mm-hmm. of things. You know, the escrow account and the compliant software integration. There's a lot of moving parts to these. It's not traditional acquiring. So, you know, my personal thought, I think that this industry is large enough that if the whole industry was doing it the right way, which who knows if will ever happen, right? Right. But with that being said, I think opportunity abounds. You know, of course. I think it's a great time. There's enough merchants in America that if every ISO in America rolled this program out, there's still enough opportunity for everyone. Sure. So, it take a little while to get through all the merchants in the U.S. at this point, I think. Yeah, <laughs> the 26 million <laughs> no or whatever. Right. Something like that. So, Well, and on top of that, we know that there's always going to be a certain amount of merchants that these programs don't fit. Of sure. Course, simply sure. put. You know? sure. Of course. Yeah, I think so. that's important to realize, too. It's like if you try to market to everybody, you always get nobody. So, you know, what's the target market, right? (laughs) Right, right. um, Okay, so let's let's talk about the other – we've talked about the Visa Bulletin. Let's talk about the other – kind of on the other side of this argument, uh, the the rationale for cash discounting, of course, came largely from the Durbin Amendment, that section, I think it's 920 or 902, I can't remember, um, talking about uh, the cash discount, what it is, in-kind incentives. Can you talk a little bit about, in your mind and with Merchant Links, how do you guys view the Durbin Amendment and how do you view that as a justification for your program? I mean, the way that we look at it is, I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, you know, I posted on my LinkedIn today. Patty made a great blurb of it about the uh, in the upcoming green sheet for those that read that. It, it's pretty cut and dry. Essentially, at the end of the day, uh, it's very clear that if a merchant, they can price any good or service the way that they please, right? Right. Uh, they have the legal right to do so. Right. Um, and, you know, if, if you actually read into it, you know, it says, hey, a payment card network shall not directly or through any agent, processor, or licensed member of the network by contract requirement, condition, penalty, or otherwise inhibit the ability of any person to provide a discount or in-kind incentive for payment by the use of cash, checks, debit cards, or credit cards to the extent that, and it goes on. Right. But uh, I am just, at the end of the day, we're in a free market, okay? And I feel very strongly, though, that folks need to understand, even though these programs are growing in popularity, we do need to work our best to follow the guidelines of the card brands. You, you know, we also right. allow our merchants to accept cards, so we can't. We don't want to inhibit them to do so, right? Sure. We need to give them the ability, as long as we're doing it the right way. So yeah. it's a fine line. Yeah. Um, you know, real quick on something I wanted to touch on sure. real quick though that I think is very very important that was really more on the Visa memo in response to that uh, is the card brands want to see a materialistic difference. And the service fee that's applied to all in-store sales and the cash discount. Right. And this entails to, hey, just slapping on a service fee and calling it good across the board. And, you know, I bet I'm not sharing my screen here, but what they mean, and it may be a little nitpicky, but long story short, you know, the signage of, of a year ago is what, not what the signage should be now. Right. The materialistic difference in their eyes is, you know, if you have a service fee of 399 right? Well, the old signage would say, hey, the cash discount is also $399, right? right. Well, the card brand said, eh, we don't want that. You know, we want to see a materialistic difference in the service fee and the cash discount. So you know, if you have a service fee of $399, a cash discount should be $395. It's a materialistic difference. It may seem, again, a little nitty-gritty, but these are the small little things that add up that you know, is very important from a compliance perspective. Well, so, Ian, you know, what's funny um, to, you know what's funny to me, Adam? I mean, the truth is, like they have to be different anyway, just from basic mathematics, right? Like if I take a hundred dollar transaction and I add three nine nine to it, that's one Oh three 99. 
if I try to take three ninety nine away from one oh three ninety nine, it's like four dollars and twenty six cents. So if you want the dollar amounts to wash out, the percentages have to be different anyway. It's like three nine nine and what is that three eight seven six or something like you know. So it, it has to be different anyway, just to get them to wash. Right, right. So that's kind of that's kind of interesting. So let, let me let me throw this out at you then, Adam, because I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like basically, I've seen two general kind of schools of thought on this, right? So one school of thought is. I think in the and, and again I think the direction Merchant Links goes with this is that you believe what you're doing is a compliant cash discount because you're clearly separating the concept of the price increase or the service fee that's applied to everything in the store cash credit whatever and then separate Correct. from that you're doing a cash discount this is all happening via signage it's all verbiage but it's it's being done in a way that you consider to be compliant with the Durban amendment and and with the Visa bulletin the other side, I don't know if you've seen this, but the other side is uh, processors who are saying, okay, look, we're not even going to try to split those hairs. We're not going to say it's a cash discount. It's an in-kind incentive, so we're going to do a non-cash adjustment. So they're still doing just one thing. They're not doing the price increase and the discount. They're just doing one thing, but it's a non-cash adjustment, and the justification there is this isn't a cash discount program at all. This is an in-kind incentive as covered under the Durban Amendment. So I don't know if you've kind of seen those two schools or if you have any thought on that. You know, I have. I personally, and I know Merchant Links as a company as well, is fully on board with the cash discount. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason being is we've been secret shot by the card brands at least a dozen times over the past year, sure. uh, and we've gotten a green light. Right. Um, now, one thing I need to make very clear is that, you know, compliance is evolving, right? This is a new acquiring program across this whole payment landscape in America. So, you know, I think it's very important. And what the card brands are looking for is like, hey, we're all humans, right? Uh, they're looking for those ISOs and acquires that are evolving as these programs continue to evolve, sure. not staying the same old path, trying to make a quick buck. So right. fully on board with a cash discount just because it's the merchant's legal ability, right? right? You got First Amendment issues. They can legally offer an incentive in their place of business. Right. The second side to that, I from a, like, not, are you talking like the non-cash adjustment? Yeah, non-cash adjustment, actually, right? So instead of it being, okay. so what you guys are doing is two things, right? You're implementing at the register, you're implementing a price increase and a cash discount, where the the and, and again, I mean, the argument against that, as you know, is in the Durban Amendment. It does say that a discount, as according to the Durban Amendment, is not you know raising the price at the register, which. You know, again, I know you guys are doing it in the way that you feel is compliant, but I mean, some people might look at that and say, well, that's kind of similar to that language. So some people are saying, no, we're just going to do a non-cash adjustment. So really, they are just doing the, you know, fee at the counter, but they're saying that falls under the in-kind incentive. You know, again, two, two sides of the same coin. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on it. Right, right. Well, first off, to be fully compliant, a merchant does need to adjust their prices in the store. OK, I mean, not just at the, at the point of sale. Um, that's very important. So um, we can get into that in a different. So you're talking about they have to do it at the at the uh, shelf. Uh, they really, you know, to be 100% compliant, you really do need a merchant does need to adjust their pricing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and okay. so they're, you know, depending on the merchant and the savings, it may be a little labor intensive. But again, um, in my opinion, it's worth it. But uh, you know, from what I hear and from the diligence that I've done. And I'm not going to name any names. I know a couple of large ISOs that rolled out the non-cash adjustment model. Their programs did get shut down and were considered non-compliant. So mm. um, <laughs> I don't think that's the best route to take, in all honesty. Yeah. yeah, and it's funny. I've seen some go both ways. I've seen some. Again, I think, the, I think you know, because I know there's some large ISOs that have the non-cash adjustment that are 
in good graces with Visa and it's, it's working well. And so there's, and, and I know others that have done the cash discount that have been shut down lately. So it's like, I think the key takeaway, Adam, if I'm hearing you right, is that this is a complicated issue. You want to make sure you're in compliance yeah. and you want to make sure you're partnered with companies that know what they're doing and they're doing it correctly. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah. And I think, you know, in this industry, even though it's huge, it's all who you know as well, right? Of course. Uh, it's a sure. small industry up top and, you know, yeah. Um, you're absolutely correct. You know, I always plead with every agent out there just because your ISO says that, you know, they're doing it this way and it's the right way. You know, even though it's new, spend some time and, and do your diligence. Right. Because again, these are so valuable. Um, it's, you're just in an unregulated industry. Right. Spend the time to do it. Yeah, you, uh, it's worth it. If you build uh, up once that, you uh... board these merchants, you don't lose them. Right, exactly. <laughs> you, know, you just right. don't lose them. And if you build up a $20,000 a month residual, which is not like, you know, out of this world crazy when you're doing cash discounting, you know, you want to make sure that you've built that in a way that is maintainable and you're not going to get the, the you know, rug pulled out from under you at some point and have to, you know, drop your margins by 70%. <laughs> so. Well, I get that all the time, too. Folks are like, well, Ackerman, you know, wonder if the car brands do clamp down on it. First off, my personal opinion, it won't happen. Right. Second of all, if it ever did, right, well, you just had a great time of acquiring that you just, you know, you acquired how many counts using right. this as a tool? Right. And then, you know, and then you move them over to Interchange Plus. So, you know, I only see it as a yeah. win-win. Well, and, and again, you know, you know one thing— one thing I could speak to on that, Adam, is, I mean, just from my, you know, consulting side and just look, seeing this actually happen, the ones I have seen where Visa has put pressure along with other acquirers for somebody to stop doing their program, I personally, and I, I may have missed it, I personally do not know of a single instance where the pressure was convert all of your existing cash discount merchants to something else. The pressure has been the ones who are on cash discounting, leave them there, Just don't but moving anymore. forward, right? And then they're like, okay, and if, if this, you know, if we get a complaint about a merchant, then of course we're going to reach out and say, you've got, you know, 60 days, 90 days to get them on, you know, a compliant program. So, you know, that's what, I, and I've been talking about that for a while too, Adam, right? It's like, what's the worst case scenario here? You know, <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't right. seem like there's a big shift to like, you're going to have to move your portfolio. It's like, Hey, you know, do better moving forward is at least again, and that may change tomorrow, but from what I've seen, that's been the, the experience. Well, and, and I want to piggyback. I think Patty actually made note of it in her recent article. Um, but, you know, one thing that I touch on, because I, I do these weekly webinars myself on the state of cash discount, and one right. thing that I like to touch on is uh, the fact that just, you know, the, the number one fear of a merchant is, hey, I'd love to do this. I just, I'm going to lose all my customers. Right, right. And, you know, being on the front end of this now, uh, you know, three years now for myself, uh, I can personally say, as long as it's presented the right way from the acquirer to the, you know, to the ISO to the ISO to the agent, and the agent to the merchant, and the merchant to the customer, if it's presented appropriately, they're just not ha they're not losing customers. Know. You know, they're not seeing. Yeah. I mean, our raw data right. is ninety nine point two percent of customers literally don't even mention a service fee. Right. And again, it's not for every type of merchant out there, but you know, I personally feel that there's enough cash hanging around in America, because if you look at our payment landscape, we kind of are behind when it comes to the whole cashless society, right, compared right, to the world. Right. Um, there's enough cash floating around that the people that would have, you know, 
well, why do I have to pay a service fee? Those type of people, well, you, they usually have cash on them, so they'll just that's use the right. cash and save. So, yeah, that's you right. know, there's just enough cash floating around. And I think, Patty, I think uh, in one of your notes, I think you said 73% of Americans still have cash on them. Yeah, that's right. I mean, right. So and I'm these, one of them. These are a great time for our industry. Right. right. Yeah, you know, if you see it's time to pay with cash, again, depending on the ticket size, you're going to use that cash. So, you know, when the car brands came out with that report, and I want to say it was, what, three, four years ago, to 92% of their cardholders don't even look at their receipts right that's right. when i was like these programs are going to take off this of course is be the greatest thing ever so <laughs> sure you know i agree with you james we're kind of in limbo right now as an industry i know everyone's making money right. i know merchants see the value in it again it's not going to be for every merchant or every vertical out there or for the ones that do fit those card presents smaller ticket you know even though we all start to see some larger ticket merchants uh it's just a powerful powerful program exciting time yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Well, great stuff. And well, hey, uh, just just as an aside, I will I will throw out a little plug for the green sheet. The uh, the article that uh, that Adam is referencing is my insider's report on payments, which is in the uh, March 11th issue of the green sheet, and it's uh, titled "Of Cash and Cash Discounting." Nice. There you go. There's the there's the greensheet.com for you. So check that out. Hey, Adam, do me a favor. Um, can you give our listeners somewhere that they could go some information? I'm sure some of them listening are interested. They want to learn more about your programs and stuff. Where would you send them? Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, either find me on LinkedIn, Adam Ackerman, uh, or you can just go to uh, gomerchantlinks.com. Uh, links is spelled like the cat. So uh, gomerchantlinks.com. I'm open to, uh, of course, continuing the education process. I feel that this is an education process for everyone. It's a learning curve yes. for the entire industry, and that's what we're here to do is to help educate yep. on the compliance and how important these programs are for our industry. So. Sure. And okay, sure. and that's uh, Go, G-O. It's, so the, the, the website is G-O-M-E-R-C-H-A-N-T-L-Y-N-X.com. Yep. Correct? GoMerchantLinks.com. Okay. Awesome. All right. Hey, Adam, thank you so much for your time, man. Really appreciate it. Have an awesome day. It's been great talking to you, Adam. Thanks. You too. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by GreenSheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The GreenSheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. So I saw a report recently about how the value of Bitcoin payments last year exceeded charge value on Discover plus PayCal, PayPal transactions. Hmm. Um, according to a report by CoinIdle.com, which is a blockchain news outlet, there were $1.3 trillion in Bitcoin payments in 2018, compared to about $550 billion in PayPal payments and $128 billion in Discover card payments. Wow. So in other words, Discover and PayPal payments combined amounted to about three-quarters of the total value of Bitcoin payments. Hmm. And Bitcoin payments came close to equaling the total of all cash in circulation. Um, I, I went out to the Fed for this. Nice. So I, yeah, I was interested in, yeah. like, okay, how does this compare to cash? And right, right. According to the Fed, according to the Federal Reserve, the value of greenbacks in circulation last year totaled about one point six trillion dollars. Wow! So one point six trillion in greenbacks, one point three trillion in Bitcoin. Yeah, pretty interesting, right? It is. Yep. Now, Bitcoin, while it's the most popular and most valuable cryptocurrency, is just one of more than a dozen of these digital alternatives to cash, uh, to cash check and card payments, actually. 
Others include Litecoin, Ethereum, Dash, and Ripple, which is used primarily for international transfers. Right. Now, all of these use, utilize blockchain, which is a distributed ledger technology that features blocks of information that get bundled together and carried across the ether. And cryptocurrencies are, therefore, a type of blockchain. Right. Um, now, when I first read the report on the value of Bitcoin payments, I chalked it up to being a lot of very large transactions. Right. You know, I've interviewed numerous experts on the subject over the past uh, several years, including some ISOs that, you know, support cryptocurrency processing. Right. And the common explanation I've received about the kind of people who pay with cryptocurrencies is that they are often the ultra-rich buying high-end luxury items like Lamborghinis, yachts, Learjets. Right. Right? right. Yeah, I've heard the same thing. Yeah. But when I started researching the topic more— I discovered that, indeed, a lot of businesses selling large-ticket items like diamonds and travel and exotic cars accept Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. But so do those with relatively small do dollar tickets, like pizza and sub shops. In fact, there's a website called Pizza for Coins, which was created specifically for folks who want to order pizzas online and pay for those orders with Bitcoins or other crypto coins. Really? What's it called again? Pizza for coins. Pizza for coins. I'm checking that out. Yeah, check okay. that out. I All did. Right. It was. I, I went on. I didn't find any in Frederick, unfortunately. Oh, but, well, I'm but, sure I won't find any in Altoona then. But <laughs> but you'd be surprised. I what 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 surprised me is that there is a sub shop in Altoona. Is there really? That's a subway shop. A subway shop that okay, all right. Yeah. So I can I can buy I can use cryptocurrency to buy a subway sandwich in Altoona. In Altoona. Okay. Just in one of the Altoona places. Okay. But I'm, hey, you I'm know. I'm trying it. Okay. Yeah. So with the pizza for coins, you put in your address, which is what I did, which is why I found out there wasn't one in Frederick. But if there is a nearby pizza joint that's part of the network, they'll place the order on your behalf. You give them the crypto, they pay the cash. Right. Which okay. Is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here's another news nugget that uh, got my attention. Starbucks reportedly holds an equity interest in Bacon. I think that's how you pronounce it. B-A-K-K-T. Racket. Okay. Uh, it's a crypto uh, platform. And the scuttlebutt is that uh, plans for facilitating Bitcoin acceptance at local Starbucks are in the works. Right. Um, and that platform... Would would work similar to like the pizza for coin stuff. It would convert the big Bitcoin payments immediately into right. currency. Sure. Then there was this from a stock analyst uh, named Lisa Ellis. Uh, she's with the uh, investment bank Moffitt Nathanson. She reported uh, published a report to clients in early March, stating that cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin play uh, pose an quote, existential threat, close quote, to incumbent payment networks, namely Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal. Hmm. Sure. And this report was picked up by several news outlets. I would imagine. Not surprisingly. <laughs> right. Yeah, one of these, Forbes, noted that uh, rumors were flying about Amazon considering Bitcoin acceptance. Hmm. Another by a, a publication called Bi The Bitcoinist observed that, quote, one of the greatest threats to private payment systems could be their own arrogance, Close yeah, quote, right. Which we've talked about before. Sure. You know, it pointed to uh, Kroger's much publicized move to stop accepting Visa at some of its chains in response to uh, mounting interchange as evidence of why cryptocurrencies could uh, upend card acceptance. Hmm. Quote, the successful implementation of Bitcoin payment solutions could easily upend the hegemony of Visa and MasterCard, the Bitcoinist wrote. 
Now, none of this is to suggest Visa and MasterCard are ignoring blockchain generally or the appeal of cryptocurrencies in particular. Mm -hmm. MasterCard holds several blockchain-related patents, including one for card authorizations and another that would support instantaneous B2B payments. Visa's also been working on this and um, with blockchain, and uh, last year it introduced, or actually I think it piloted, a cross-border application application that it calls B2B Connect. There are several ISOs that sell cryptocurrency acceptance. Uh, the, the main one that I came across was Alliant Payment Systems. When I interviewed Eric Brown, Alliant's founder last year, he said the company has about 30 agents selling cryptocurrency acceptance. Hmm. And he explained how Alliant had developed a direct cryptocurrency plugin for two of the largest e-commerce platforms, WordPress and WooCommerce. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And it also has a created a crypto payment button for the Point Smart Terminal. Really? Yeah. Which <laughs> That's I thought was neat. very cool, right? Yeah, I like that. In March, Alliant announced that it had signed Bob Moore Auto Group, which apparently is a very large um, uh, multi-chain of auto dealerships in Oklahoma City. Right. And it's accepting several cryptocurrencies um, at its Subaru dealership, hmm. which to me is not necessarily a high-end car. Sure. You know, I sure. mean, it's sort of like mid-range, right? Right. Now, one of the appeals of cryptocurrencies, um, Brown explained, is that there's no risk of chargebacks. Right. Another is that there's no need to collect personal or financial information from customers. Right. And to protect against market volatility, which, of course, there is with these types of cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. processors will lock in the crypto-to-dollar exchange rate, typically for about 15 minutes. To encourage speedy checkouts. Sure. Which is not unlike, you know, when I go online to buy tickets for a concert, for example, right? right. You pick your seat, you have 15 minutes to close the deal. Right, sure. Or the seat goes back into the pool. And I would imagine that over time, I would be surprised if many of them didn't dramatically even reduce that time frame. I would imagine, yeah. Like, to me, like the interesting t- thing about it is it's like if you got rid of the volatility, I mean, you know, there's a lot of possibilities there, right? You oh, know, yeah. I, I think the big issue is that volatility. Yeah. Because... You know, if it's not for that, I mean, the nice thing is if you take that out of it, there really isn't any risk the way that we would consider risk in our industry because right. there's no chargebacks. There's no fraud. It's cash. Right. And it, there's, no, there's no um, PCI compliance concern. Right. I mean, it's, with. you know, and I think who was it we had on here? I think somebody we had on here, maybe it was you even, somebody was talking about how it's literally like carrying cash. Mm-hmm. So you have the, the issue of what if you lose your cash or whatever, but it's literally like. You know, if you drop a $20 bill on the ground that's and, it. and somebody picks it up, that's their $20 bill. Yeah. And the, if they go and spend that at a business, there's no way for the person who dropped the 20 to file, a, you know, some kind of fraud against that business and say, right. no, right. that was my 20. Well, how would you know? Like, and that's how Bitcoin is. It's just there's no there's no tracking of like the ownership as far as that goes. And so it's just like cash. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it really is. It's, it's electronic cash is yeah. the way I think about it. So, um, you know, cryptocurrency acceptance seems to be especially popular with e-commerce companies. And uh, here's a short list of some better-known online businesses um, that do. Um, all of them accept uh, Bitcoin. Some accept two or three okay. of, of the options. Sure. Um, so these include Expedia, Overstock.com, PayPal, Shopify, the Dish, you know, the uh, Dish Network. Dish Network people. Intuit, which supports Bitcoin acceptance via QuickBooks. Hmm. Microsoft, which accepts it for in-app purchases, you know, like movies. Yep. Reed's Jewelers and CheapAir.com. Wow. 
I'm not, you know, those are, those those are, are pretty significant. You know, it would be interesting, too. One of these days, I'd love to hear your insider's report on uh, Square. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, they're kind of outside of our scope of our, you know, what we talk about merchant sales. Yeah. You can't sell for them. But, I mean, isn't I heard somewhere that they were making a lot of money off of their Bitcoin I've, I've heard that as well. well. I don't know how exactly, but. I'll know. go back and I'll do, I'll, I'll yeah. do that for one that, of our next ones. That'd be interesting. Be very interesting. So, um, you know, banks are starting to look at cryptocurrencies, uh, particularly for B2B applications. Sure. And the most notable of these is uh, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company, which recently announced the JPM coin hmm. to support instantaneous pay- payments between institutional customers. Really? So, you know, like when you're doing, like, cash uh, consolidation between right. your various units. Yeah. Or even for trading partners. Yeah. So right. that's like, you're talking about, that's like their their own kind of version of Bitcoin. It's not version. on the back of Bitcoin. It's their own Bitcoin. It's their own thing. They use the blockchain technology. I should say. Yeah. And they're actually not the only. There's another bank in New York. It's a small corporate bank. I think it's called okay. Signature Bank. Okay. It's done the same thing. Yeah, interesting. You know, unlike Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, which fluctuate in value, uh, JPM coins are backed by dollars that are on deposit. With the sure. Bank. So there's no fluctuate. There, well, there's there's fluctuation like the dollar, but yeah. there's not right, right exactly. So when one business authorizes a transaction, these coins get transferred and are instantaneously redeemed for the equivalent amount of U.S. dollars, hmm. and it's all done in real time. So it's faster than checks or ACH transfers, which are two of the most common ways that yeah. businesses exchange funds. Yeah. According to uh, Monica uh, Eaton Cardone, she's a CIO of Global Risk Technologies and a frequent commentator on financial technology trends. I, I've interviewed her numerous times. Okay. She's really, really smart about these things. She said that uh, she told me the key takeaway from the J.P. Morgan Chase announcement has more to do with the platform than to- than the tokenized coin itself. Hmm. You know, because wow. because they're leveraging this platform for more instantaneous sure commerce. You know, and she said that in her mind, blockchain technology is the future of banking and payments. Hmm. You know, and I I think I'd have to agree, but I think it's going to take uh, several years before this becomes anything close to common t- commonplace. But yeah, that's my take. Wow, you know, it's I think to me like the whole interesting thing about it is when you remove the volatility, right? Which of course right now you can't do, but. If you remove the volatility, it really is, you know, kind of shocking all that could be done. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Because I think there's a lot of businesses that, you know, even businesses like a restaurant or something where the problem is, like, you just can't put a price on anything. Right. Because it literally could change an hour later. That's right. You have to lower the volatility to get kind of that mass acceptance. Mm -hmm. But it seems like they're really penetrating some verticals and and making making progress. Yeah, and I think, you know, the idea of, like, that 15-minute lag, that kind of fits in with some of the things that we're already used used to to that experience. Right. We, if we can compress that down to five minutes, right? Sure. I think that the uh, or just eliminate eliminate the need for it would be or the eliminate I- the, the need idea. would be ideal. But but yeah. let's say you can ratchet it down from fifteen right. to ten to five, five, right? And then eliminate yeah. it, right? Yeah, very interesting. Wow, good yeah. stuff today, Patty. Very interesting stuff. Cool. Thanks. This is questions from the field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, 
and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. Hey everybody, James Shepard here for questions from the field. Uh, so Patty, I'm excited. This is our uh, last, uh, the third in our the little third series. part in our series. Yeah. Yeah. So value selling, I hear about it all the time. Everybody wants to do it. Everybody's tired of low margins and competing on price. How do we sell point of sale systems and gateways and mobile payments and all this stuff, right? Um, loyalty right, programs. Right. You know, how do we sell this? Well. The last couple of weeks, we, we talked first about, you know, kind of what is value selling, right? Right. And the importance of gathering information. Mm -hmm. Last week, very practical guide. Right. You know, what exactly Great questions, questions yeah. right? What do you ask? So make sure you go back and listen to the last two episodes if you haven't already. Um, and listen to the segment on questions from the field to get these questions that you would ask. So now we're at a point in the, in the presentation where the merchant has actually given us some form of value right, that they considers. find interesting, mm -hmm. right? Now, the key at this point is to do a couple things. Number one, stick to that one thing. If you're going to sell something, you have to sell one thing. The biggest problem I see with people doing quote-unquote value selling is that they're not selling anything. They're not closing anything. They're having value conversations, mm -hmm. but they're not making sales. And the reason is because they tell the merchant, oh, you, you think online ordering is neat? Well, let me tell you about our point of sale system because that integrates with our online ordering. And by the way, we have a web solution that integrates with both of those things. And you know, if you had loyalty points, you could integrate that in with your online ordering. TMI, TMI. And all of a sudden the merchant's like, well, this sounds amazing. This sounds like the biggest decision I've ever made in my life. Mm -hmm. I better take a year to think about it. Exactly. Too much information. Right. Find one thing that they are interested in that's valuable and then figure out next, figure out what is the first step that they can take. Obviously, it's going to be creating a merchant account, right? Completing an application. You've got to get their business and give them one concrete step that they can take and say, so when they're like, yeah, I like online ordering that actually, I think that would improve our business. So now stop everything. No more questions about value. No more questions about anything. No, no, no. Now you're going to switch from the consultant over into the professional salesperson. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, the way I like to explain this is just like a doctor. When you go to the doctor and let's say I've got strep throat. If the doctor came in to me and said, well, James, we ran some tests. Um, I think you have strep throat. I mean, that looks like what the test is saying. And, and I don't know. I mean, do you, do you want medicine for that? I mean, if you do, I could, I could think about it and try to, I'm like, well, who is this guy? Right, this is right. a joke. This isn't a doctor. All right. No, the doctor comes in and says, hey there, James. Well, bad news. We ran the test. You got strep throat. And this is uh, what you have to do. Here's what you got to do. Here's your prescription. Go to the front and just pay them up front. They'll give you the, the prescription. Have a great day. Right, right. Very assumptive. You could even say pushy. But you don't feel like it's pushy, do you? Of course not, because he's helping you, He's right? helping you. Why? Because he already did the test. He knows what's wrong. Right. And now he's prescribing the solution. And, and, and in essence, what we talked about, what you talked about in the last two weeks right. is the diagnostic. Exactly. Right. And in the diagnostic, it throws agents off because they're being much more passive. Mm -hmm. You're not pitching information. You're getting information. Right. But at some point in the process, and that point is once you identify the value, you have to switch gears mm -hmm. back to professional. Well, boy, I'll tell you what. I'm so glad that we had this conversation today to talk about online ordering. Now, let me tell you the three steps to setting up your online ordering. Mm -hmm. Number one, we're going to go ahead and complete some paperwork and get that done. Of course, get that out of the way. 
Step number two, it takes about a couple weeks to, you know, and you just walk them through. Right, this is right. what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. The great thing about closing value sales is that you don't have to really close very hard usually. If you do it right and you've identified the value, the close should be very assumptive. Mm-hmm. And it really should not take care of itself. You always have to ask for the business. You always have to close. It's always a challenge, but not nearly as much of a challenge as the price. Right. Because on the price close, you can get there a lot easier. But once you get there, the challenge is you basically are convincing them that this is valuable enough for them to move forward. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, in a true value sale, they've already told you, yes, that would dramatically improve my business. Right, right. So you're like, well, great. I'm glad I can improve your business. Here's what we're going to do. And you just boom, 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 boom. Just sign them up. Right. Right. So it's very important, very crucial if you're going to do value sales that you identify what that value is. Focus on just that one thing. Close the sale. And my last tip to you is sometimes, and we're going to talk about this more actually next week. I have another uh, kind of similar topic to talk about, but you then sometimes have to lower the risk a little bit. Mm. Sometimes you got to say, if you can give them a one month trial of whatever it is your value right. you're selling, do right. it. Yeah, sure. Do it. Because they're, they're going to take it much, much easier. You know, well, I tell you what, let's try the online ordering for a month and that's See how the next it works. Step. Right. Yeah. right. Lower the bar because if you don't, again, the bigger you make the decision, the bigger, it, the longer it's going to take longer. them to make the decision. Right. The more sure. consideration. So it's better to say, hey, you know what? You know, you really don't even know for sure how this is going to work for your business until you try it. So let's just try it let's out for a month. Yeah, Everybody sure. will say yes to that, right? So sure. that is how you're going to identify the need. You're going to confirm the need. Then you're going to sell them on the need. Right. And that's really value selling, Patty. That's great. Thanks, everybody. Have an awesome day. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.